Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. It's time for Standing on My Soapbox, the daily rant and radio show. We talk about all of the good, bad, and the ugly of current events. Join your host, Scott Fullerton, and co-host, Craig Hurley. You, our listeners, are invited to call in and stand on our soapbox with us. Call 347-989-0126 between 4 and 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Friday. That's 347-989-0126. Now, here are your host and creator, Scott Fullerton, and co-host, Craig Hurley. Well, welcome, everybody. It's Standing on My Soapbox. It's Wednesday, August 7, 2019. I'm your host, Scott Fullerton. In just a moment, I'll be joined by my co-host, actor and writer, Mr. Craig Hurley. It's Hump Day Wednesday here. We hope you're having a good week so far and can slide into a great weekend here over the next couple of days. We invite you to call in and talk to us about what's on your mind, talking about the news, pop culture, and top political stories of the day, you can give us a call at 347-989-0126. That's 347-989-0126. So let's go ahead and stand up on my soapbox and start talking. Craig Hurley, how the heck are you? Good. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well, thanks. It's a beautiful day here in Northeast Ohio. All Is it a beautiful day? Relative. Well, it's rained, but that's okay. Beautiful enough. Beautiful enough. It just rained here in I'm Vegas. Enjoying. In fact, it's still it's still raining. Yeah, we had a good downpour for a good twenty minutes or so, but it's uh it's drying up again. Drying up again. We're gonna have a good weekend. It's supposed to rain again tomorrow. And we had a little microburst storm come through yesterday afternoon, around three thirty or four, right before the radio. I didn't think it was that bad, but I guess over uh, in Warren, which is about 25 miles from here where they have their Italian Fest this weekend, our second out of four that we have in the area every year, um, I guess a lot of the, they were getting prepped up for it, and a lot of the tents flew away, and trees broke down, and it was a big little microburst, even though it lasted only a couple minutes. It wasn't that bad here today. Yeah, I'm currently getting soaked. I need to get back inside. That's probably a wise idea. <laughs> Currently get, getting soaked. There's it's it's that, raining a lot. That's actually. literally needing to have the sense to get in out of the rain. It's literally. It's a uh, monsoon. <laughs> I need an umbrella. Umbrella, Ella, Ella. I got you. I got you. Oh, dude! Something else I happening? learned about um about lightning strikes. Like uh-huh. if a lightning strike strikes your house. Um, you don't want to be sitting on the toilet. Uh, really? A toilet exploded in yesterday in a, or the day before in a, uh, in a thunderstorm. And I don't have the information on where it was, but um, it's because the lightning hit their septic tank and it, the, um, the methane gas 
that leads, you know, underground from the septic sure. tank to to your to your toilet. Um, right. Uh, ignited, ignited and blew up the the toilet. So you do not. And there's been multiple injuries, and there's been I don't know if there's been any deaths from people sitting on the toilet during a thunderstorm and and getting a lightning strike. Um, but there have been uh, injuries, and um, I, yeah, you don't want to be using the toilet. You don't want to be going to the bathroom during a thunderstorm. That's not good. I, I can't imagine. I feel bad enough for that... you if you have to use a septic system, let alone if get caught in a storm with one. Oh, there's a Those lot. Just not fun. No, there's a lot of houses that have that have septic tanks, but it's it, apparently it not anything to do with just the you know the septic tanks it's it's that the methane makes it if the no, lightning hits any of the plumbing that's right by your house so don't be using that's the toilet during a thunderstorm <laughs> <laughs> hold it just cross your legs and hold it, darn it. yeah there you go yep. oh my goodness now that makes sense when you think about it though i never thought of it but i guess it kind of makes sense that is full of all those gases down there and Are we starting to show out think with, about it because it's starting to show out with the weather. A little potty, really potty humor, exactly what we started. Is that what we're starting to show out with? Wow! Somehow I got potty wow. humor in there. That's awesome. Um, you did. Uh, yeah. Uh, just real quick, uh, I'll go through just uh, current weather. Uh, Vegas, uh, 104, and since we're talking about weather anyway, uh, 104 and thunderstorms. Um, Los Angeles is, uh, I don't know where it is. I don't know where it is. Oh, um, fair and, and like 80s. Um, uh, Chicago is like going to be or is 80 degrees, and then there's a chance of rain uh, throughout tonight. Uh, Dayton, Ohio, uh, 90 degrees. And you guys got a chance of rain also. Um, Denver's like 85. And uh, there's a 50% chance of rain. So I'm saying it's going to rain. Uh, Miami always rains. So 89 degrees. Uh, Miami's just, there's a chance of rain all the time. Um, and uh, New York currently is under heavy thunderstorms. So is uh, the majority of the East Coast. Um, and, and once again, there's a strange high pressure that is just sitting now it's just sitting like over i don't even it's like the four corners of uh, um, uh new mexico arizona uh colorado wait is that right colorado and and utah is that what the four corners are so um it's right in there it's just sitting there and it's causing which is unusual for a high pressure system it's causing a whole bunch of rain and thunderstorms to come through like this one that's heading through vegas right now um, because it's drawing, yeah, it's drawing moisture actually off of the, the Yucatan Peninsula. It's, it's very strange. It's normally, it'll be like, it'll still draw off the Gulf if it's a low pressure storm, but high pressure storms usually draw off of the Arctic and going off of the Arctic right now, we've got some of the highest temperature readings in the Arctic that we've ever had. So that we've had in documented history and for 10,000 years for that matter. Um, so, you know, there's, there's all sorts of, there's all sorts of heat that's being a high pressure system, which doesn't normally, uh, react this way. Normally it clears out storms. So, but there's all these little tiny low pressure systems that are associated with it that are just kind of blown up left and right. 
and or east and west um, and they're kind of all over the place and they're causing a tremendous amount of disruption themselves they're dropping a bunch of rain and and like i said thunderstorms and lightning should be some tornadoes well, my associated future home of palm too. springs had its hottest day in 50 years on monday it was 121 degrees in palm springs Excellent. on monday so yeah a little warm, there a little warm change? <laughs> yeah 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 and, all right let's uh, get let's into see. today's news then um, well there's still today, there's still a couple of more weather things um like uh all of florida is getting a tremendous amount of rain and over the next couple of days um but that's a given it is for uh but there are three hurricanes that are Oh, you just lost your signal. Really? Lost your signal. Can't Can you hear, hear you. There you go. Now you're back. Now really? You're back. really? Yeah, it's only because I'm talking about hurricanes in Japan where they're not listening to us at all, right? Our friends in Taiwan, you, uh, if you're listening, please uh, go down because you're about to get hit with a cyclone. Um, so, and then in North Korea, they're going to be affected by the one that goes across um, Japan. So uh, they're they're pretty they're going to get in a lot of water coming up and you need to find a better location because you're fading in and out a lot. Really, am I breaking up like crazy? That yep. sucks. Big time. Part of it's the storm. Part of it's the uh-huh. storm that we have over us, and yeah, my signal's really weak. But uh, uh, Japan and, and Taiwan, they are about to get hit. And, and North Korea, and like I was saying, Beijing. I don't know if you heard any of that. Uh, Beijing, China is about to get hit with the tail end of these storms. So um, it, there's a lot of people there. There's a lot of people that are in the way of these storms. So there's going to be a lot of flooding and a lot of uh, uh, landslides, a lot of mudslides. There you go. Well, there's your daily weather report wrapped up right here on standing on my soapbox. Um, let's go ahead and jump into the news of the day. Of course, we have, have more. Our... I still have. I still huh? have more weather. I still have more weather. If you want me to just continue along this, or do you want to jump into no, something else? No, let's not. Dude, what we, about we, the we'll, algae we'll bloom in in Western Lake Erie? Lake Erie's right by you, right? There's 310 yeah, let's, square let's miles. Let's just tell of, people of go outside, bump. put your hand out the window, <laughs> and if you feel something wet falling on it, it's raining. It's nice. raining. Just don't there want to bore go. everyone. Yeah, there's uh, enough uh, garbage out there. Point. I figured I'd just give everybody, a, you know, uh, some type <laughs> of like like boring forecast of some kind or some type of you know just relaxing while you're doing yoga. So I imagine that's what people are doing when they're listening to our show is yoga. Yeah, that's what they're tuning in for. They're tuning in for weather while they're doing yoga. That's what it's all about. <laughs> hey, man, we, as we long do, as it's relaxing. We do great right? in the mom yoga classes. <laughs> we, are, we are doing great. You never um, know. You have no idea. They may love the, the tone of our voices. You have no idea. There you go. There you go. Just not the content all or right. the quality of said content. There you go. All right, well, let's jump into so we it. About? We have a lot of stuff going on. We'll start with uh, the president, Chris Costing, around the country to go to Dayton and El Paso for, right. to honor 
um, soothing and caring to all of the people who don't want him there. Um, yeah. So he's been in, he was in Ohio earlier. And I think and that go? in a smart move, he's getting kind of, well, he's getting kind of panned for it, but I think it was smart. He didn't do any public um, appearances and did all that behind the scenes stuff. He went, he went right. to the hospital and talked to the, to the victims that are still in the hospital, which is a smart thing. Um, okay. And he, and he met with some of the officials that would talk to him and that was about it. Um, he, uh, didn't really do anything public for anything. Um, I mean, it's, it, it's good and bad on both sides. I mean, the guy's definitely not welcome in both these places. So do you want to fan those flames by doing something or if you're going to go there anyway, why wouldn't you want to do a public declaration to the city and give them some warmth and healing thoughts and everything? So he's, so yeah. he's going to get kind of pounded on either side, unfortunately. It's not kind yeah, of a, a, not, a no-win situation there's, there, for There's him. been a bunch of people. There's been a bunch of people because he's, he's condemned uh, uh, the acts of violence as of late. Right. And and so, you know, there's a bunch of people out there that not even a, a week ago were talking about, you know, uh, groping Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I'm sorry, representative or congresswoman. What is she? I mean, come on. She's an elected official. She deserves the respect. So, um, you know, and, and there, there's pictures of her being groped and then. He turns around and says, oh, we all got to be, um, uh, you know, uh, we got we got to all condemn this racism thing where he's been stoking the fire the entire time, the entire time. Right. There's good people on both sides of Charlottesville. What? I, I remember those words. What? You all forget? I don't forget that. So, right. you know, no, there's, there's just, not good people I mean, on both sides of Charlottesville. And he's going to get slammed either way for going there. I mean, if he wants to go there, he needs to understand that there's people don't want him there so he can hide from them, but that's going to hit him in the butt both ways. Like I said, it's going to, um, one, be there where someone doesn't want you, and two, if you don't yeah, do a public declaration of support. Also, it's not a, it not a couple help. of days later. A couple of days later doesn't help either. I, I think it's too late. You know, it's like you should have just jumped on a plane or had, you know, representation of yours jump on a plane immediately, immediately to the site. So and we talked about this before. There were journalism. You know, there was journalists on site immediately, newscasters on site immediately. So, you know, it's not like it's not like it's that hard to get there, you know, obviously. Right. And he was on his uh, way to the airport today to take off. He was asked about it and he's continued to call legal immigrants a terrible thing for our country. But then he went right. and said he's been toning down his rhetoric and not saying anything about it. Which uh, is just complete lies. No, it's just one lie after another coming out of him. Three, four, seven, nine, eight, nine, zero, one, two, six. We'd love to hear your opinion on all this. Uh, speaking of uh, undocumented immigrants, Mississippi just staged the biggest ice raid and arrest for deportation in U.S. history. There were more than 680 undocumented immigrants detained. So, where you go, Mississippi? Yeah, I want to talk about that again. There a bit. you go. I, keep, I, keep going backwards. I think it's interesting. Keep, keep going backwards. Um, okay. I think 
I think it's very interesting how we're talking out of both sides of our mouth when we're saying that these that immigration is a horrible thing. These guys are coming to to rape and pillage, and they're all illegal people and part of MI6 no, or whatever it's that. called. MI, well, right. I'm talking to the government is saying all that. Correct. But yet they find, but their priority, they're going to have this big roundup of people, but the priority to round up are people that have a job and are contributing to the tax base of their communities. Those yeah, are the people they're going after. And they're gleefully yeah, that no saying sense. that this is, we've set another record according to uh, the, uh, yeah. the Mike Hurst, who's the U.S. Attorney for Southern District of Mississippi there. So it was seven different sites in six cities in the Mississippi. So they have seven companies that applied work that I would love for them to show me what local people they turned down to give these immigrants their jobs. They're saying, oh, we're stealing jobs from American people. Show me the people yeah. from those communities that applied that for that down. job. I bet you can't yeah. find any. I bet no. you can't find any. And so we are going to arrest people. Instead of arresting their gang members that they talk about or these people that have arrested Or the rapists or criminals. I'm not, sure, you know, I'm not sure exactly what that is. Because you know, sometimes a criminal can be a person who is smoking a joint. And that's not, that's not being criminal, at least not in 11 states in the United States. And then I'm pretty sure 40 others have medicinal. So, you know, at least it's decriminalized on a medicinal level. But, you know, being well, a criminal be in the United States can I mean, be something be so stupid and basic. What? Uh, you got to be consistent if you're going to go after. I mean, they said when they, all these raids were supposed to happen a couple of weeks ago, that they're going right. after the violent offenders and people that are that have that have arrest records and things like that. These people that they've done six these six hundred and eighty people were working, keeping their head down and working in food factories. Yep. Not the most glamorous job in oh, the no, world. Oh no, a job that nobody you. that nobody really wants is the job right. that they were all doing. Nobody wants those jobs. Yeah, I mean it's it's just ridiculous. I mean, and then they're they're excited about this that these are the people they're going after. I mean, if you want to go after the rapists and the drug people and the people that have felonies and the people that have things like that, do it. But going after workers who are having a job and putting food on the table for their families and, and sometimes getting taxes sometimes they're out, even union. Sometimes they're even union right. members. So they've been, you know, a, a part of that union for, what, 10 years? Who knows? It depends on how long they've right. been here. Right. And unless these guys well. are getting paid under the table, they're getting taxes taken out for, for benefits yep. they will never see because they're not U.S. Nope. citizens. So, they're, so the company, if the company is doing it legally and not paying them under the table, they're taking out Social Security, things like that, people that, these guys will never see it because they're using either a wrong social security number or something like that. So um, I just, I just find it very, uh, very sad that they're excited about, about finding these 680 people that this is making them excited all of a sudden. No, um, yeah. I don't, I, I'm not sure what, what all of it that is about besides dictators do the same thing. 
and they get their base all riled up by blaming the immigrants, and and it's happened over and over again in history, and that's history of the, the world. Um, you know, we've had these individuals do this, and that's where they start. And they also go after guns, and you know, they just take things away slowly. Slowly but surely, and we procrastinate as humans, so we don't really react. The, the best thing that you and I can do right now is to actually be talking about it over the airwaves right. and, and letting it fly and, and making sure that people understand and hearing at least that, you know, these things are happening right in front of us and that we're very aware of them. I was going to say that just a minute ago, that, that I, I know I have a number of people that are friends of mine that are that I follow on whatever types of social media, and and it, it, they're backpedaling like crazy right now, and then they're all like, "We need to be united. We can't be racist." And and I'm just like, guys, you know, that's so glaringly obvious, and it, and it's obvious that you are in the first place. So why don't you just own it? Why don't you just own it? Right. That you're racist. You know, own it. So then maybe we can talk, because otherwise you're just lying to me. Oh, and, you know, it's it's really interesting to me how much of our backpedaling on all of the, the racism that's that's happening and then uh, the effects of the mass shooting and uh, particularly at Paso, because we're still not sure about the mass shooting. In Spain, right. Right. Things You're about the shooter. Your... Nah, really. I've seen different yeah. things about the shooter. Can you hear me now? Um, yeah, I can now. The shooter in, in Dayton. Um, I've heard different things that he's a Democrat, so I, I'm not I'm not sure exactly about that. But we do. El Paso uh, is a Republican who went after uh, Latinos, so his main goal was yeah, to shoot Latinos. Yeah, the difference is the yeah. In fact, uh, that Kellyanne Conway girl went on Fox News and said that it was horrible that the media is talking about this guy being a leftist Democrat thing. Which, according to his Twitter feed, it seems like he had leftist views. The difference was Correct. the El Paso gunman the guy in Daytona, in posted Daytona, a manifesto right? and specifically said the shooting yeah. was about <laughs> killing Mexicans. The yes. Dayton yes. guy, yes. it had nothing to do with killing Republicans. It didn't have anything to do with that. didn't have anything to do with it. So far, we have no idea what his motive was, but the motive doesn't right. seem to be it was for for his leftist views, he wanted a shooting spree. Um, so yeah, it, it may turn out that way, and then we'll talk about that if that happens. All we know yeah, is that they just he don't know. They don't know what his what his motive was. His Twitter feed, he he right. uh, he voiced left leaning opinions, which right. is neither which good nor bad. Which more find out what he did right? Yeah. Well, if he's extreme left, and he obviously went too far. So, you know, somewhere in there, you have to know that you're losing it if you're about to walk in and blow people away. And you got to check yourself, you know, and I'm, I've been saying that for a while. Seriously, go check for your own disorders. Don't worry about what anybody else is saying or doing. Go check for your own disorders. Go to a and get your own stuff checked out. Um, then you can find out what's going on and you can actually isolate those things and help yourself. You know, not that I'm saying that you need to self-medicate. I'm saying that you need to be instructed on what those things are and how to handle yourself in those situations. And that I'm saying that for everybody, 
Because I think everybody has experienced – everybody sees this like no matter how much money you have, no matter how much it, it looks good, you know, grass is always greener. There's a cliche that you guys love to use. Um, uh, grass is always greener on the other side. It always looks so much better over there. Like no matter how a person's life is actually looking, there is stuff going on in their heads. They're, they perceive this life differently than you do as on an individual basis each one of us sees a different day every single day every each one of us perceives a different moment every single moment so we all need to understand that and if we can understand ourselves better then we can actually focus on what actually needs to be done on a daily basis just to move forward as a, as a society, as a, as a civilization, it helps us to, to understand ourselves more. Did I break up anywhere? Right. In there? And there are so many people that do, um, that are trying to destigmatize talking to people, having a therapist. I mean, it's kind of scoffed at and laughed at, but it's really, for some people, it really helps to talk this I, stuff out with someone. I'm not Doesn't even necessarily talking. Mean I, there's anything wrong. I'm not even talking a therapist. No, that's been an old way for a long time. That's not the new generation's way of thinking. This Gen Z is not they, – they don't think like that. They, they actually talk stuff out and express themselves, and they talk to therapists. But I'm not even talking about a therapist per se. I'm talking about a, a psychologist who actually tests you, who is actually specialized in whatever it is your disorder might be. And, and is able to help you and able to guide you. So I'm talking about specialists in this, you know, not just somebody that you can sit down and, and you know, tell how miserable your life is. Uh, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm actually talking about it makes you miserable and then, you know, uh, makes you, gives you all these triggers that, you know, and you're not even supposed to say trigger. Sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> For all of you with delicate sensibility out there that just, that just heard me say that word, I meant um, uh, uh, I forgot what I meant. What they're what they're actually called? They're not called triggers. They're called wow. I forgot the scientific term for stressors. I'm sorry. There it is. Stressor. So it's easier on the ears. It's a stressor because um, the word trigger is actually a trigger. So sorry about that. And I did it like five times in a row. I'm sure there's a whole bunch of people out there listening that are like just firing off now. They're just going off on somebody. He said the word trigger. But um, yeah, stressors. Uh, you can find out what your own individual stressors are. And therefore, if you fall into a situation like that, and which you will on a daily basis, before it even gets it. Uh, you really got to move. You really got to find someplace else. Wow, am I breaking bad? <laughs> yep, pretty badly. I wish I could go outside. I don't know, maybe I can. <laughs> Do you have a front porch? Where did I fall apart? Where did, where did, where did um, I break well, up, I mean? Uh, well, we heard you. You just kept fading in and out. Well, stressors was, and, was, yeah. Yeah, we, we heard all that. Better. We heard it all. Identify your own your own stressors. That way, when you get into a situation, you can. Ooh, creaky door. I'm in the haunted house again. Um, no, it's still raining. It's still raining, and I'm standing outside with a cell phone. Yeah, I'm a lightning rod. That's fun. <laughs> just go right inside the doorway there and just stare outside. Yeah, that doesn't help. 
lightning strikes is to get curves, man. It usually comes it's aiming the ground, for me. It's aiming for me. What? <laughs> it, hopefully it'll hit the house first because it's the highest point. So. Sorry. Right. So, well, another thing. So, yeah, where were we? I want. Well, I want to go on and talk about. There's also a story going on right now about this guy that works at Walmart. His name's Thomas Marshall. Him and one of yep. his uh, a friend of his, this girl that works there. He's 23 years old. Walmart employee based in San Bruno, California. He does something in the back end office uh, security. He used uh, email and the internal Walmart Slack channels to reach out to fellow employees this week. And Slack is a communication tool for businesses um, to encourage them to call in sick on Tuesday and to take part of a walkout today and sign a change.org petition that calls for an end of the sales of guns and ammunition at all Walmart stores. So he's, uh, he's a, organized this event he's kind of got caught and locked out of his information at walmart he hasn't got fired yet walmart's none too happy about it they have had over twenty-three thousand signatures on the change.org petition to to end the sale of guns and ammo at walmart stores we'll see if anything happens but i like people that are taking grassroots efforts like this so big big way to go guy to thomas marshall 23 years old taking an active position and i like it did they have a walkout? Um, it's supposed to be this afternoon, and I don't know. San Bruno is your time soon, so it should be happening now. Hopefully, I'll read right. about it later. I'm not sure yet, but I support yeah. him. Good on him. Walmart sells an awful sells an awful lot of guns and ammo, so it would be a good idea if they were to. They're like one of the highest rated, I mean, highest sellers of guns and ammo in the United States. So right. it would yeah. be a big hit. It might for be a good too. idea. And it's, it's not something to enter lightly. I mean, you, we most people remember that Dick Sporting Goods decided to do that last year. Yep. yep. They lost um, 150 million in sales for yep. the year, but they said they would do it again in a heartbeat. They understand right. the trade-off for it, so they lost sales over it. It's not that it doesn't doesn't hurt them. Um, but they thought it was the right thing to do. So I appreciate companies that will do the right thing to do as opposed to the bottom line. It's not like right. Dick's Sporting Goods wasn't making hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billion. They could afford to lose $150 million in only profit. Um, and Walmart, even more so, obviously can afford to lose that profit. So it would be nice if they did the right thing. So all, yeah. all these guys are asking them to do is the right thing. Do the correct thing. Yeah, I, I, I think it would be a good idea. Um, we do need to, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to like, you know, jump on Second Amendment or any of that. Um, but it does say a, a, a well-trained militia, um, and that is our National Guard. They're they're not talking well, about well. It doesn't say that though. That's the whole point. The whole point is it says a well-regulated militia. Well militia regulated. and regulated means. Rules and regulations. That means you should be able to pass common sense gun laws. Um, Yes. It doesn't. It means that there should be a regulations involved. It needs to be regulated for your militia. Correct. Um, So it doesn't mean that a non-U.S. Army, Navy, Air Force Marines should have access to 
um, barrel ammunition that can fire 200 rounds. That can be a regulation for the militia that is not part of the U.S. government. So, I mean, no, it is a part of the state. It's part that, of the state run yeah, and regulated. Correct. Right. So, I mean, yeah, those that, people, that's absolutely, important distinction. As, as long as, you know, yeah, as long as they've been tested, that they're okay as far as, you know, mental state. And, uh, and they're the ones that are designed to protect us in case the government gets too oppressive. So that's what they're there for. Um, you know, but as far as civilians, well, if you really want to get down to it, then yeah, everybody over 21, as long as, you know, you pass a background check, everybody over 21, uh, get your own musket and maybe like two musket balls. I mean, if we're going to go back to when it, when it was originally written, you know, then right. yeah, okay, cool. Everybody gets a musket, you know, that's over 21 and you can go out and buy that. <laughs> <laughs> and you you can you know get like two musket balls or three musket balls because you ain't committed mass murder with three musket balls that's for sure. So you right. know it's uh you know it, yeah that that would be a regulation if we're gonna go back because <laughs> they keep stepping you know they keep stepping and going hey second amendment second amendment but you know dude go back to when it was written figure out what they had right. and then you know figure out what the regulations might have been then apply the same theory now. Because that's what it is. Exactly. Uh, you know, apply those same rules. Well, that, and that's and a whole other discussion now. I want to talk about another time. But there, there's a lot of people on the religious right, especially, but in the right in general, that say that the that the Constitution is a living, breathing thing, and that the uh-huh. they meant for those law things to go into purpose. They did understand that things would change in the future, and that, that all things they, should be legal. But on the same token, they'll say, no, but we shouldn't do that for, like, rights of black people, rights of gays. Those, right. those things shouldn't advance. Just things yeah. that they want to advance can advance. And you can't have Correct. it both ways in that. So, yeah, it's it's a little frustrating to me. And that's a definite a topic for another time. It is, it, it, it is a malleable I, – I, I'm right in – you know, I'm, I'm right in between. I'm not a Democrat. And I, I have more liberal views, but that doesn't make me a Democrat. And uh, and I'm and where, you know, I believe in being financially conservative. So I'm I'm split and I run right down the middle on a whole bunch of issues. And what were we just talking about? I'm not even going to be That's able to we're talking what were about we just Second Amendment and the living, breathing Constitution. Uh, yeah, that it's that, it's, that, that document yeah. is a that document is a malleable document. And it's meant to it's meant to be that way. And so we just need to focus on what the issues are and and really, you know, set regulations, which is what they put them in there for. They put it. You even said they put the word regulated. You know, it's like, okay, well, we need to make sure that these regulations are applied and that they're followed. All right. Well, we are five minutes past the break. We are going to take a quick break. Play a little Trevor Page Warrior. Uh, give us a call, 347-989-0126. Got about 20 minutes left to call here. Here's Trevor Page with Warrior. Believe into. 
All righty, guys. We are back. Welcome back to Standing on My Soapbox. I am Scott. That is Craig. We have about 20 minutes for you to call in here. 347-989-0126. Give us an idea what's on your mind today. Well, um, in the never-ending saga of... There you I go. Been there before. Dude, you got me. We were talking on break that Scott got a friend's um, uh, coffee mug from Warner Brothers the last time that he visited their uh, at their gift shop, and uh, and he uh, and so he just got me thinking of the theme song. Great. Now I'm gonna have. I'll be there for you. Running <laughs> through my head for the rest of the day. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks there for that. There you go. You're welcome. Matt You're Perry, welcome. by the way. Matthew Perry, very funny man. Very funny man. I've never heard anybody be able to say lines the way he says them. Uh, no, he always he, says it's a. He uses a word that isn't an objective word, and he in the sentence, and he makes it funny. So it's he's that was perfect kind of, casting. I mean, they really were yeah. perfect casting as far as their characters. Plus, um, going through the experience together. I mean, they held on for money together. Became a tight unit, and I think they really changed um, money in sitcom for a lot of people. Um, while they were doing it, they were the first that really kind of stuck together on that and changed. Well, David I think Schwimmer's, money for a lot David Schwimmer's a lawyer, and when Courtney Cox uh, was starting to make a lot of money, she turned to everybody else and was like, "Wait, this isn't this isn't just my show." So, because it was like she was the number one paid actress at that time on Friends. Right. She's like, it's not my show. We all deserve equal pay. And it jumped from, I don't know what it was. It jumped up to 250,000 an episode and then it jumped up to a million. So after a certain amount of time and after like six years or seven years, something. So, and that was all negotiated by the actors and as as Schwimmer, their lawyer being their representation. So pretty cool. Yep, that's awesome. Pretty, pretty that cool. A, yeah. They were very, very perfectly cast for their roles and, uh, and uh, yeah. was Lisa a great Kudrow, model for in, other insane, people. Insane comedian, Lisa Kudrow. Just insane. It's just so funny. She's so funny. She's I just so read talented. something on her the other day. She did a commencement um, speech somewhere this summer. And um, I think I forwarded on my Twitter. I'll have to look for it that I was forwarded to my Twitter. Someone said that every actor should listen to this um, commencement speech because she really talked about how things happen for a different reason and how she was fired off of Frasier and didn't get this other role and other things. And then friends came along and just talk about the actor's life. And it was a really good commencement speech. So uh, um, I'll have to play it sometime because I think I have the, the audio on it, but it was shared to me by some, by one of my actor friends. And I thought it was really good, but nice. yeah, she, she's, and she's smart too. I mean, she's like a freaking real scientist. She has yeah, like she's degrees in upper biology or something. I, some, she's yep. some ology. She has some degree. Yeah, in, I don't, so I don't know what it is smart. either, but yeah, she does have other degrees in, in sciences and, and things that you wouldn't yep. expect. Yeah. No, she's a smart cookie. All right, let's move on. She's a really, really good producer, too. Lisa Kudrow is oh, a yeah, really yeah. good producer. She's produced some really interesting stuff. So look at her in her latest work, uh, Who Do You Think You Are? And then uh, what was that? I can't remember the name of the show. Uh, the Comeback. Uh, and I don't know oh, where, yeah, where that's airing. Yeah. yeah, The Comeback was really good. So 
trying. Well, yep, what exactly. we're going to talk about. <laughs> it certainly wasn't friends, but. <laughs> no, but that's all right. We, we had now you got me. There, but I wanted... I'll be there for you. Yeah, great. There you go. That's we awesome. got to talk about Puerto Rico um, in, in our. The new governor. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get a little bit of whiplash. Uh, Puerto right. Rico's Supreme Court <laughs> unanimously ruled today that the part of the law used by the new governor, uh, by the old governor, to name the new governor's successor was unconstitutional. So they're <laughs> saying that the new okay. governor that's been in office since Friday has to step she down is. by 5 o'clock today, and they're wow. going to swear in that Wanda Vasquez justice secretary who didn't want the position in the first place. Who doesn't want the job. Okay. Right. So, wow. They have all sorts of issues going on down there. So I don't know what's going to happen. Like I said, there, this new guy that was brought in, he was basing it on a emergency law that says if there is an emergency, you can appoint a secretary of state without, uh, a, without being confirmed by both houses. But right. the, uh, the Supreme Court of Puerto Rico said that this wasn't an emergency. This was someone who resigned over pressure that was an emergency for him to resign so he needed to be confirmed by both the house and the senate which he wasn't so they vacated that order what do they constitute no longer... an emergency well i mean it when you think if of it, this it isn't else, it is an emergency but they had a week this guy the guy stepped down with six days left they could have called a, a thing and if they would have picked him sooner they could have got it done, basically what the Supreme Court said. It's an emergency right. now, but it was an emergency yeah. when they could have gone through to fix this guy. So they've nullified right. his appointment as Secretary of State, which means he cannot be governor, which means this uh, Justice Secretary, who's the third in line, will be sworn in at 5 o'clock today. Now, whether she will decide now to keep the position or whether she will elect someone as Secretary of State and step down, they haven't gone that far yet. I don't know if that's what's going to happen, but they're in all sorts of weird political waters there in Puerto Rico right now. Not that they weren't to begin with, but so no, it's just, it, it seems like it's just it, it's it's you know all, all over the world actually. Um, democracy right. is being tested, and it will always be tested. That's that's what it's there for. It's supposed to be tested. You know, we're supposed to be constantly um, trying to make sure that people are able, all people are able to live some quality of life while they're here. It's short in the first place. It's only right. 25,000 days if you're lucky enough to get to 75 years. It's only 25,000 sunrises and sunsets that, that you get if you're lucky to live the average lifespan, which the average lifespan is continuing on, an, on almost a daily basis to go down. <laughs> So, right, exactly. I think we're now at 70, I think we're now at 72 years for average lifespan, where it used to be 76. And uh, so, yeah, it's only 25,000 days, if you're lucky. So, you, you know, it's really so, yeah, so we'll keep a, it's very short We'll time. keep an eye on that and let you know what's happening in Puerto Rico. But uh, as of now, supposedly, the uh, Miss Vasquez is now governor. We'll see if she just tries to appoint somebody to her secretary of state and then step down. Who knows? Got about 10 minutes left. We're going to go over to pop culture because there's quite a few stories in pop culture today. Okay. Um, 
start off with uh, what I don't like and move on to the whatever here. Um, FX Channel um, announced right. yesterday that it's moving forward with an adaptation of Jeffrey Tubin's book, A Vast Conspiracy, the real story of the sex scandal that nearly brought down a president. So they're bringing the Mona Lewinsky, Bill Clinton thing to American, to the uh, American crime story that they do every year on FX. This is going to be their one for this year. The weird thing is, there's a couple weird things about it. One is Monica Lewinsky is one of the producers on it, which that doesn't okay. tend to bias whatsoever. The second thing is they're premiering it. <laughs> well, it's definitely that, going to be her point of view. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. The second thing is they're premiering it September 27, 2020, basically a month and a half before the election. You don't think Trump's going to be using this? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not real happy with it. Uh, he used it before, I and and I wish, you know, like I've said in the past, that Bill or someone, you know, I'm sorry, President Clinton would have stood up and said, hey, you know, stop talking about my infidelities, that, you know, in front of millions of people and my daughter, no less. So, you know, and just stood up and, and faced him and talked to him about it. And, right. you know, there wouldn't have been a fight. There wouldn't have been anything. But just go after him. And, you know, Secret Service would have shut that down in a second. So, you know, it, but at least it would have been, you know, you, you just stop talking about this. This is, uh, you know, this right. is done. And, yeah, he's absolutely going to use it coming up here. Yeah, I have but, no problem to you know, make the documentary. Not... And you're free to make whatever you want. If some people find that yeah. entertainment, that's fine. Just the timing of it is really kind of wonky as far wow. as I'm concerned. I don't even have a problem with her being an executive producer. I mean, it could be her story to tell, partly her story to tell. So whatever blows her hair back. But just that they're doing this, um, then that's just very a very wonky time to do this. So I'm not real happy about she that. Just, but, she just waited. I mean, I think her, you know, the timing on this is, is one thing. I, I'm sure it's planned. Um, she's got to make, you know, the Democrats look as bad as possible. Uh, so there's, you know, there's one way to do it. And, uh, um, but as far as her being executive producer on it, uh, that's just means she held on to all of the intellectual property rights. She just made a really good deal right. negotiating and waited, obviously. Well, she's for not that an executive deal. producer, Wait, she's a, long a regular time. producer, but still, oh, she's just, um, right. yeah, yeah, she's a, she's a producer, but, um, right. So uh, but, consult, but it did probably sure have to do with producer. rights and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Right. It probably sounds more yep. like it. But so there's that story. Next um, story, um, that the producers of the Emmys this year have decided that they are going to go without a host, just like the Oscars did last year. Um, okay. They're going to get rid of the host. It'll be September 22nd for the primetime Emmys. And they thought that the uh, – the way the Oscars handled it went more smoother, it went quicker, and they thought it worked well. So they're not going to have an official um, host, which I think is fine. And they're trying a different thing. They're adding two producers this year instead of one. Don Misher, who's always produced it for a long time, you probably know, is uh, being teamed up with a production company called Done and Dusted, which I know nothing about. And they're going to give the Emmys a makeover and do dual producing uh, duties on the show. So that's going to be kind of interesting to see what all that does to the show. Yeah. Um, no, I think that's anyway, good. So that's happening. 
Yeah. Yeah, September and, I, and then I think that's good. Like I said, I like I like the last um, Academy Awards. Uh, yeah. it, it moved faster than normal. Um, it, there were, you know, it, it it seemed like we actually had more laugh lines. Like it, it seemed like you know the presenters were given an opportunity to actually talk, and also the people that won were then given an opportunity to actually talk. Because there was nothing, you know, in between pushing anything along except for the director of the show, which is the way it should be. So it wasn't, you right. know, there's no host that's that's got to be in a certain place at a certain time. So yeah, no, exactly. I really liked it, uh, you know, and I think that the Emmys can do the exact same thing, and and absolutely yeah, pull it off idea. the same way. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Um, Disney uh, uh, hired um, uh, the voice of Moana. I don't know how to pronounce her name. Uh, she's a Hawaiian Puerto Rican actress. Uh, Aluli okay. Cravolajo. I don't know how to pronounce her name. I'm sure I butchered it. Um, but she's been cast in the, and she's the the voiceover voice for Moana. And she is um, currently been cast in the live version of um, uh, ABC's uh, The Little Mermaid. And uh, as The Little Mermaid. And ABC has done this over and over, especially over the past couple of years. Um, they are literally colorblind. And I think that's a beautiful thing as far as uh, inclusion of all different types of people playing all different types of parts. Um, and they've been extremely diverse. And uh, they, um, uh, because, and they've done it before. Uh, it's the second time that for actually the little mermaid um, that they cast an African uh, where they had cast uh, um, African-American and I'm probably going to butcher her name too, because it's so close to Holly Berry. It's Holly Bailey. Uh, so I didn't butcher it, uh, but right. they cast her for the film, you know, they cast her for right. the film, the little mermaid. So I, I, I just think it's really cool of Disney to, be focusing not only on their employees and I'm talking about like park employees as well. Uh, but they're focusing on, you know, making sure that there's a lot of diversity and inclusion in their, in all of their performances in, in every performance that they're giving, be it a TV show to a movie to a stage show. So I, I think it's really cool. That is awesome. I love that. We're going to end on Disney in a second our positive news of the day for some things that I like, but we'll finish. We'll last story we'll do before we end up on our positive note here on a little sad note talking about everything we've been talking about today with gun violence and where our community is right now. Um, Y'all know that I'm a huge Broadway guy. I have lots of friends that are on stage or Broadway. And last night they had to stop the performance of To Kill a Mockingbird who, with um, Jeff Daniels. That, yeah, Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels um, is in it, and in. it's Aaron. I'm pretty sure Aaron Sor- Sorkin's um, whatchamacallit of To Kill a Mockingbird. It's his rendition. Of, yeah, I think he did do a, a lot his, of the screen of the uh, book for it. I don't know. Um, yeah, play. Anyway, I, I don't even know what to call to, it. A, a trans. Yeah. I don't even know what to call it. So anyway, right. sorry. But they stopped the production last night because a motorcycle backfired outside the studio, uh, the Schubert Theater, where it's at on Broadway, and it panicked everyone in the street. It was so loud that they could hear it in the theater. 
and it panicked the audience and the actors. The actors ran off stage, the audience, and there was people on the street running into the theater to try to take cover. Um, right. So that's kind of what we, where we feel like right now. We're still a little on edge for this thing. So we we had to stop mm-hmm. a uh, theater production because of a motorcycle backfire. And those things can be loud, especially the cities of New York or tall buildings. They echo very loud. I can understand that. But that's right. where we're living right now. So I thought that was very, very interesting. But we'll finish yeah, Gideon Glick. on a Gideon Glick, positive. who is a, a, an actor, uh, right. tweeted that um, this from, cannot yeah. – yeah, this cannot be the world that we live in. Um, right. He's, you know, shocked at, at you know, all, everybody's behavior. And it, sadly, it is the, the world that we live in. Um, being out in public is um, not safe. I, you know, it, it really yeah, never I follow has been, Gideon. He's a friend, but, of a friend of mine on Broadway. It's uh, an yeah. actor on Broadway. And that's why I read the story at. thought it was very interesting from that. But, yep. All right, but we're going to finish up on a happy note from Disney because of their owning the world now, which we've talked about, and owning the entire uh, catalog from 20th Century Fox. They are going to be doing some Disney reimagining of different films from the catalog, starting with um, this. I believe it's going to be for this year. They're going to do... um, Home Alone. They're going to redo Home Alone. They're going to redo Cheaper by the Dozen, which is one of my favorite shows. They're going to redo Night at the Museum, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, and they're going to Disneyfy a lot of these 21st or 20th Century Fox um, productions that they've now got the rights to, which could be some hmm. kind of fun stuff. I'd like to be interesting to see some of these shows. I mean, I kind of hate that shows are being done over and over again a little bit, but at least they're picking some good really? shows. I like a little a lot bit. Of yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, um, yeah moving on, um, just a little repetitious, I think, maybe. Just a little repetitious. <laughs> yeah, they find something that works and they stick to it is basically the way I see it because uh, it continues to work over and over again on a new audience, on a new, you know, an audience that was just born. So, um, but uh, uh, Jason Drucker was just a uh, wimpy kid in The Last Wimpy Kid, and Jason's a good friend of ours. So we've got, and he's actually signed in uh, a licensing agreement with Daylight Sucks. So, nice. Very cool. Yeah, as, as one of the characters. Yeah. All right. And that's all the news that's fit to print today, guys. We have to get out of here. We have the Randy Report coming up in just a couple of seconds with an uh, interview with Dennis Haskins. He has his own podcast. And then we have Astro Kiki Radio coming up uh, the hour after that. We're a pop culture and astrology mix, so tune in tomorrow to Standing on My Soapbox, 3 o'clock Pacific, 6 o'clock Eastern Time. Have a good night, everybody. We're going to play out with the little Z Machine, Boys in the Band. Bye-bye. Peace. Just leave your conscience here at the door We'll be giving you your number Won't ask for your name Cause you won't need one around here anymore Everybody's looking happy Everybody wants to play
Welcome to the Randy Report. I'm Randy Slavacek, your host. I'm also the writer and editor of therandyreport.com, where you can find me every single day on the Internet reporting on the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. Today, I'm chatting with writer and performer Dennis Hensley. We'll get into a lot of the fab things that Dennis is involved with, but here's a quick rundown. Dennis's television credits include Logo's Gay for Play game show starring RuPaul, Fashion Police, The Big Gay Sketch Show, and Love Spring International with Jane Lynch. Dennis co-wrote the feature film Testosterone and appeared in the cult comedy Girls Will Be Girls. He was one of four hosts of the national gay radio show Twist and a regular guest host on SiriusXM OutQ's satellite radio. He's the author of the novels Screening Party and Misadventures in the 213, and his short films include Rub Down, Reunion, Screening Party, Evie Harris, Shining Star, and If We Took a Holiday, which are all available for screening on YouTube or Vimeo. Dennis is also one of the writers behind the podcast Imagined Life. Each 45-minute episode takes you through the life of a well-known person only you, the listener, doesn't find out who the person is until the end of the episode. Quartzy.com named it the best new podcast and the most life-affirming podcast of 2018. In a completely different vein, Dennis recently collaborated with Jeb Havens to create the new party game, You Don't Know My Life. It's based on offbeat interview questions Dennis developed over his years of profiling celebrities for publications like Movie Line, Cosmopolitan, Out, TV Guide, The Advocate, and In Style. The game has been described as if Cards Against Humanity and Your Diary got drunk together and had a baby. Dennis is also the host and creator of the popular podcast Dennis Anyone, where he interviews creative professionals about how and why they do what they do and how they keep it going. In 2017, Dennis launched a new project called LifeCast by Dennis Hensley. Clients hire Dennis to interview them or a loved one about their lives, often around a special occasion or a landmark birthday and anniversary. And then Dennis takes those interviews and compiles it into a life cast, a podcast that can be delivered in an MP3 or shared online. I've known Dennis for years. He's always the guy you want to sit next to at a party because he's not only smart, but quick with a clever line. We were chatting about our respective podcasts over the last Christmas holiday and were comparing notes about some technical aspects about doing the podcast thing. We both decided we wanted to interview each other, and so here we are. The ensuing chat turned into a kind of dueling interviewers as we both keep trying to ask each other questions about the other's projects and lives and everything we do. In any case, it was a lot of fun and the time flew by. Here's my chat with the fab Mr. Dennis Hensley. Dennis Hensley, how are you? I'm good, Randy. How are you? We're doing a cross-pollination episode. Uh, <laughs> it's like when Charlie's Angels went on the love boat or something. I know. Can I be Farrah? You're, you can always be Farrah because then I can be – I was going to say I could be Chris Monroe. We could be sisters, but they never were really in episodes together, so that doesn't work. I'll be well, – Well, they did six. Yeah, they, they did. did. The second year the third. I, I, it's my era. You're a diehard. You, I knew that, but I didn't want to like bring it up because I thought it was too obscure. But then you brought it up, so <laughs> we're on the same page. Um, 
Yeah, so thank you for helping me set up my Skype recording situation. So you, uh, you sound so fantastic on. Thank you. You were doing the Lord's work. Uh, <laughs> so um, I want to talk to you because you do so many interesting things. You've got your Randy Report blog um, where you do you know stories on the day's news and pop culture mm -hmm. and interviews, mm -hmm. politics. Like how do you decide what – goes in your on your blog is it anything that captures your sort of fancy you know the interesting thing about the blog is when i started it in 2011 um i i i started because i would wake up in the mornings i, I discovered blogs like in the late 2000s and i discovered joemygod.com right com. and so every morning i would like check them to see what's in the news and then one day my husband, Michael, said, oh, you should start a blog. And I thought, oh, great, so only two people read it, and it will be really pathetic. But um, I did, and I – in January – late January of 2011, and I think in the week of January that I was – last week of January, I got like 300 hits. Like I don't know how these people found me. I don't know how they – and I was writing about myself at the time. I was blogging the way we used to really blog. Right. And then, what, as you know, blogging, especially for gay bloggers, for a lot of us, politics started happening, and we started like referring to the daily news cycle a lot. And so over time, without even thinking about it, I shifted from like personal essays about my life, and every time Michael got in trouble, the world would learn about it and what he did wrong and when he's going to apologize, and <laughs> it shifted into um, me covering the daily news cycle. I get up in the morning, and I start checking like 20 different news sites, and I check CNN. I'm checking the New York Times and the Washington Post. I still check my, my gay bloggers. I check Joe My God. I check Toll Road. I check Game Star News, um, Boy Culture with Matt Rettenmund, who I adore, um, Kenneth and the 212. And I look at what people are picking up on. And the interesting thing about the, the gay blogosphere is we all have our own flavors. We all have our own things that kind of appeal to us. So I write a lot about indie, out artists, um, lesbians, gays, bisexuals, um, and tr trans uh, recording artists because they need an outlet. And sometimes they're already famous. You know, I was covering Halsey before she got to be huge. And Lizzo I was covering before she got to be huge. Um, they owe you so everything. I, I feel like they <laughs> owe you everything. I want to talk to you. You have 300 on the nose. 300 really? Dennis Anyone episodes. I'm looking at you on iTunes right now. You started in 2010 before anyone else did with how right. to make a Cinnabon sandwich. <clears throat> Fabulous subject, by the way, and it took you 53 minutes to talk about it. Well, the, the original episodes were the comedy couch with me and Tony Tripoli, yes. um, and then at a certain point um, – we decided to stop doing that format, and then I just kept it going as Dennis Anyone because I love to interview people. Mm -hmm. Which, by the way, Dennis Anyone is a cute title. That's really cute. Thank you very much. Some people I don't get it. it, but I like mm -hmm. it. But I can't believe it's been 300. 300. Wow. On the I didn't nose. know that. Yeah. All right. That's so awesome. Good for you. I and like you know, to do it. I don't make any money, but it's fun. You it know? is. You know, well, I started my podcast as really as a companion piece because what I was doing is I realized I was like interviewing people and then I realized you know people might want to hear these people talk I mean it's you get to hear a Livy Newton John talk you get to hear Marie Osmond talk you get to hear Judith Light talk 
You're hitting all my sweet spots with those ladies. Oh. And then once I started doing the interviews, I thought, you know, I could do a like a 15-minute, 20-minute news roundup. So you can catch up on the late, latest LGBTQ news in a quick 15-minute podcast. It's like the 60 minutes of gay news, only shorter. I just was reading your website, and you have like the transgender band stuff, and then you have that Gus Kenworthy and um, the mm-hmm. actor guy are taking a break, Matt Wilkes. Yes, Matt. That was today, yeah. Today <clears throat> I need to know both of those things. Uh, well, and I so you're my one-stop shop. I never know when I sit down what I'm going to be writing about because I do follow the daily news cycle. So like today I wrote about um, Paul Ryan uh, gave an interview to a new book, uh, the former Speaker of the House, and he basically retired to escape Donald Trump because it just Donald Trump knew nothing about uh, politics, and he got tired of educating him. I wrote about uh, this really heartbreaking letter that a teen – left home because he had homophobic parents, and he posted the letter he wrote his parents saying, I'm not going – I refuse to be another statistic, and he left home because they were forcing him to go through conversion therapy and making him watch videos to change who he is and things like that. Um, it was really heartbreaking, and I love sharing those things because people need to understand that the idea of homeless teens is not um, – just a concept. It's a reality happening every day, and I want people to understand that and what people really go through. And then I posted about um, Gus and Matt Wilkes breaking up because people want to know. And let's face it, I follow them on Instagram, and I like looking at them. And you know, I'll post about my favorite Insta hunks and stuff like that. Who's so it, the it guy? Mix. Who's the Who's the celebrity that you cover just because you like them? Like that the, that they're like that. Maybe you show them a lot of love. Yeah. Well, you know, in the beginning of – that's a really good question. You're good at this, Dennis. I would cover um, – if I was doing what you did, I would recover Ricky Martin's every breath. Like, I do. Um, yes. You know, and Ricky it, it Martin turned right on Rodeo Drive. Uh, <laughs> here's 17 pictures. Yeah. I, I do. I cover Ricky. You know, I have a whole, like – in my Instagram, I make sure I follow the people that you know that I think are important. Um, you know, it's interesting. In the beginning of the Randy Report blog, randyport.com, um, Ben Cohen, the former rugby player in the UK, was really standing up for uh, anti-bullying causes. Right, I remember that foundation, and he was super hot and really friendly looking. And um, I went through a thing on Instagram with Alex Abramov. Who's a Russian? Gosh, what is it? Well, he's a model, and he worked on a reality show in Russia. He lives in New York City now with his really handsome boyfriend, Brett Miles. They both have separate accounts. They're both beautiful, and I just thought Alex was really hot. So anytime Alex posted something, I'd be posting that. Then I got into Insta Hunk Roundups, where I just post all my favorites like once a week. I want yeah. somebody to do a, a movie called Someone is Killing All the Gay Insta-Hunks, <laughs> and it's like a murder mystery where the Insta-Hunks get killed one by one, and then you try to find out who did it. Yes. Yeah. And they're naked. Oh, well, you need to write that because you've written movies too. Well, I've dabbled. <laughs> well, dabbled. Um, you've written like, – like you wrote Testosterone. I co-wrote the, the movie Testosterone, that. yeah. Well, that was the and biggest one. Girls Will Be Girls. I didn't write that, but I appeared in that. I appeared in that, but I I wrote a short film that came before that that had Evie Harris in it, uh, that was super fun. So, oh, Shining Star. Yeah, it's on yes, YouTube. If I you're a fan that. of Girls yes. Will Be Girls and you haven't seen Evie Harris Shining Star, go yes. to YouTube because it's um it's really funny. Mm. You do so many 
thing. Well, I oh, want also, you. I know you through my friend Matt Zarley because you guys mm-hmm. were um, Broadway people together. Right. We did Cats back when it was a good credit. <laughs> I love that. Is such a great. Oh, that is such a great thing to say. But yeah, it's so it was, sad. I, and I don't mean it to bash the show, but we really we we did Cats in 1986 we were we were we were the first national touring company that america really saw which cat were you when you were in cats i was the magical mr mistopheles oh i did that on a cruise ship once but only for a little segment and there was a lift and i wasn't very good at the lift (laughs) oh yeah it was uh, cats was its own thing you know it's a good thing i was i was a dancer on broadway for many years and an actor and all that and um it was interesting because my career really went in the right direction because I did the hardest dancing I would ever do in my life when I was 23 and doing Cats. And then I did that for two years, and then my next couple of national touring companies were a course line, which was hard, but it wasn't as hard as Cats. And then I did a national touring company of 42nd Street, and which was hard, but it wasn't as hard as a course line. Did you have and to roll those coins? I did. We had to and, – and hurl it on the floor so that the girls could dance on them, and we just kind of stood behind them swaying and stuff. Yeah, we're in the money. We had coins on a cruise ship, and the oh coins – you're trying to roll the coins, and the ship is moving, ship. and oh then no. you're going to dance on the coin. The coins were a pain in the ass is my point. <laughs> they were a pain in the ass. It was show they business. Were. Then I got into – somehow they found me. Chicago the Musical found me. And it's then so I went sexy, into, that show. Oh, it is. Oh, so Don't you feel you. sexy doing it? Like yeah, with all so those other cool. hot guys and the mesh and the capizio pants yes. and shit? Th- that was the cool thing is I'd never been sexy in my life, and I yes. got to pretend to be sexy. And so yes. that's another you thing. You were pretending. You just pretend. You, just, you weren't you pretending. Just, you were. And yet you just right. be sexy. Be and sexy. They, so when I went in the L.A. company, you know, they didn't have uh, – any extra costumes because everything was designed for the people. Right. So what they did was, I kid you not, the wardrobe supervisor for the national tour went to International Mail when it was Damn still right around. Damn right they did. Of course they and did. And you know, International Mail had all those kind of black, fake, yes. sexy mesh things. And they found me a really cool mesh shirt, and they found me black stretch jeans. Damn right. And for like three months with that company and the, when I moved to, to the Detroit company, I took it with me. And I wore that, and then we were in Detroit, and Walter Bobby, the director, came out to give notes, and I was on um, that night. And the next day in notes, Walter goes, Randy, what were you wearing last night? <laughs> As if it was my choice or something. I'm like, I know. Me to wear. Well, I had and a I gift said, card at International Mail. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> oh, so my I God. Said, you know, what they gave me goes, yeah, don't wear that, because apparently my black International Mail stretch jeans – Yeah had washed out so they were just really kind of dark gray and nobody noticed until I was standing next to everyone else in black on stage. Yeah. Apparently I looked really bougie. So what big stars did you work with that came in and out of the show? Oh my God, I did it with everyone. Um <clears throat> who was your favorite? Oh, well I can tell you my favorite, absolutely. My my favorite Roxy was Charlotte Dembois. Okay. Absolutely. And that doesn't mean I didn't like the others. Um, sure. because people were really nice. Um you know um uh, there were so many great Roxies that I did it with. You know, I did it with Mary Lou Henner, who's fun. Yeah. Um, uh, but Charlotte was just – Charlotte just found things as an actress that I just loved. And she was quirky, and, and it was just really vulnerable and stuff, which I really loved. When it comes to Velma's, I think my favorite Velma 
that I did it with was Brenda Braxton, who was just all around fabulous. But Stephanie Pope was brilliant too. Yeah. Um, and of course, BB was fabulous. BB was brilliant. Um, Who surprised Bebe you? Was, was there ever any, any like stunt casting person that came in that that really surprised you? That like showed up and for real? Um, yeah, you were like, wow, who knew? Did they? Let me think on that. <laughs> um, no it's okay if they didn't. Um, you know, you know, I wouldn't call it stunt casting, but you know who was really quite wonderful, and people may not have thought of him is um, Trapper John M.D. Oh my God, he's oh insane. Gregory Harrison. Gregory Harrison, who I adore. Oh I my God, these, for I ladies only. I mean, talk uh, about yes. a seventies. Him in the shower and Trapper John M.D.? And those opening credits, the rest of the Oh, my God. Too. Can you believe I remember? He, and in the first, in the pilot, like, the he's being confronted in the shower, and he's like, yeah, the rest of me is pretty cute, too. And he opens the shower door, and he's like, oh. oh. I did Follies on Broadway, the first revival. That's how old I am. It's been revi- revived since. I did the revival in 2001 on Broadway with Gregory. And he was brilliant, and then like a year later, we go out on the national tour, and he's Billy Flynn, and Gregory was fantastic. What's the worst thing that ever went wrong for you on a, in a show? Uh, oh, God, you're so good with questions. Um, I, I know the answer to that really quickly. So when I was swinging the show in 2003, 2004, after the movie came out, they sent Chicago back out. The two national touring companies had closed, and they sent, me, they sent the co- uh, company back out. And they needed a swing at the last minute, and they went, oh, Randy. So that's when I, 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 I took the swinging job again, and I liked it by then. So I go on, and we're in San Francisco for a month, and in the number razzle-dazzle, we used to have this thing called the death lift. And oh, we're God. In, in like a yeah, – it's always the lift, isn't it, Dennis? Oh, I hate they, lifts. I hate lifts. Just let me go dance. Yeah. So one guy would uh, – everyone was in like a, a, a horseshoe shape. And a guy would slide into center stage and lay on his back and put his feet up. And then that night, I was on for a guy who's the top part of the lift. So I would step in, put my back to the guy who's on the ground. He would put his feet in the small of my back. And I would just lean backwards and arch, and he would lift me up, and I would be like uh, like a horseshoe over his feet. Like would just right. balance over his feet. And then he would hang there a second, and then he would – he would push with his lower back, and I would do a walkout to the other side. I would like put my hands down and walk out like a you know like a back walkover. Walk over. Yeah, yeah. Well, he and I had never done it. To, it was it was both swings. It was me and the other swing, and we had oh, never. Shit. Usually, when we'd gone on, it was the other person that's the regular person. So when when the regular person is there, you kind of like have someone who knows exactly what they're doing, so it kind of helps out. So uh, it was David and me. I won't give his full name and. We we did it once or twice before the show, and we're fine. But he was like – I was up there a while, and he has to give the impetus to start the walkout. And we're hanging out, and we're hanging out. I'm like, oh, we're late. Uh, we're late. Uh, we're late. So I thought he was wrong, and so I tried to kick out. I tried to kick over. Uh-oh, I'm scared. And my hands were not under me. Oh, shit. And instead of my hands being under me and, like, me walking out, my hands slipped out. I landed on my head on top of him. Oh. And then the whole number just keeps going, and the whole idea is that we're doing this trick, and then right after that, all of the cast, like, does this slow-motion applause, like, aren't you fabulous? Right. 
Well, I'm there laying on my head. <laughs> the, whole, the whole cast like leans in there to look at me and like singing razzle dazzle and doing the yeah. slow motion. They're like, "Are you okay?" Right. Were you and, hurt? Like, 2000, I was not, except for my ego, which was right. completely bruised. And I'm like, "Can I leave now?" Yeah. Um, but that that was the, that was the worst thing okay. I think that ever happened to me on stage. Yeah. I could see it playing out in slow motion. Well, um, speaking of worst things, I want to ask you. So yes. all these interviews you've done, I want to ask you about this. So. Celebrity interviews are an interesting thing because you have to constantly, I find, feel your way because sometimes maybe their publicist didn't tell you not to ask a question or maybe they don't want to answer it that way or maybe you touch on something that they weren't expecting. And Have you ever had an awkward moment in a celebrity interview where someone like just shut you down or like there was a moment where you kind of like tension, crunchiness? Yeah, like, you know, with, with people – there's always – not always, but sometimes there's people that you interview, and there's that thing that you have to ask, and you don't want to ask it, mm -hmm. but you have to. Mm -hmm. um, Something just happened. and Or, yeah, I, I remember interviewing Donna Summer, and mm -hmm. I had to ask her about the AIDS stuff and the gay stuff. Mm -hmm. and, um, and she had an answer that was sort of canned, and, but it would, you know, she'd been asked about it a bunch, but you could see her sort of shut down. Uh, the light in her eyes kind of go out, and it, it ended up being like the least vi vibrant part of the interview. But I had to do it, and it was mm -hmm. fine. It was fine. Mm -hmm. But there have been a few awkward moments, but not a ton. Um, yeah. I think I try to look for the opening, like the way if they if they answer about something and it makes a natural follow up to get that other thing in there. I, mm -hmm. I try to find the the way that's the least. Uh, Obtrusive, or of course you wait till the end. You know, you wait mm -hmm. till you get everything that you need, and then you ask the hard question. Which, by um, the way, is a very good technique. Yes, wait, put it at the end. Uh, I remember once doing an interview with Jane Fonda for a cookbook for Us Weekly magazine, and it was just about a cookbook, right? Mm -hmm. And but like that very morning, my editors wanted me to get a quote from her about something else related mm -hmm. to Ted Turner or politics. It was something that was like news of the day. And I remember asking it at the end, and she's like, I'm not going to talk about that or whatever. Um, and I, you know, but I, I, I just doing my job, but it was, it was kind of like a record scratch moment for sure. You have something called observation deck questions. Yeah. Observation deck. So tell me about that because this sounds like such a great idea, and I, I'm going to I, – I, every now and then I'll read an interview online or something or in a magazine. I go, ooh, that's a good question. I should write that down in case that ever applies to someone I'm interviewing. Tell me about observation deck questions. Well, over the years of interviewing people, I started to come up with these questions that I found got good anecdotes mm -hmm. for my articles. Like, what did you get picked on for when you were a kid? Uh, how did you mm -hmm. learn the facts of life? Um, just little things like that. And so I started a list of them, and I would Xerox, take a Xerox copy of it to every interview and just highlight a few to pepper in. And I found that it, it usually got good anecdotes that, that weren't sort of overexposed. And when I started my podcast, I put the questions onto cards, and I would have the guest pick out a few of the cards before we started because they knew, mm -hmm. you know, oh, I have a story about that I can ask. And so I would just bring them up at the end. I should have had you do observation deck questions, <laughs> but I'm not in person to give you the cards. But, I yeah, that's, that's, how awesome. it, that's how it started. And then those questions turned into this game that I co-created with Jeb Havens uh, called You Don't Know My Life. So Is that how that happened? Because yeah, I wanted came to out bring of those about questions. Yeah. yeah so, so you have this game yes. that you developed, 
and it's it's like interview questions, but like people fill out cards before you get. Let me see if I get this right because I, I know the game. I have it. That's right. Um, you have you a copy. Out, you fill out cards, and then people choose the cards not knowing who the the story belongs to, right? Yeah, that's kind of it. Like what happens? Say there's like seven of you around a table, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one player draws a couple of cards and picks a question. One of these questions. Say mm-hmm. the question is, describe a memorable encounter you had with an animal. And then everyone has a little pad that's about the size of a post-it note. They write down a few sentences telling a little story, and then they get gathered up and mixed up and passed out and presented, and then people take turns trying to figure out whose story is whose. And we have mm-hmm. a fun step that's in the middle that keeps the handwriting from being a giveaway, because a lot of times you know ah. your friend's handwriting. Yeah? Right. So, right. so you yeah, learn things about people that you never knew, and you remember things about your own life that you haven't thought about in, in 20 years. It's really fun. It's one of my favorite things that I've ever been a part of, and um, yeah, it's up on Amazon now. We've got 40 reviews, and they're all five stars so far. So awesome. yeah, and only we 33 have... of those are our friends. So there are seven people <laughs> that are strangers. No, um, yeah, it's been great. I love it. But you also have this thing that I think is really wonderful, uh, live cast. And yeah. this turns into another thing about interviewing people, but there's a special reason for it so that people, whether it's, whether it's their life in general or if perhaps if they have the impending birth of a child or maybe children never ask their parents, their parents yeah. how they met or something. So talk about LifeCast because this is something someone can give someone as a gift or yeah. like if you go on a trip around the world, tell me, let's talk about that because I think this is so cool because who doesn't want to be asked questions? Right. Well, I you know I love interviewing people, and magazines were my bread and butter for a long time. But magazines yeah. have sort of died out, right? So I wanted a way to use my interviewing skills, but also you know contribute something and make a little money. So I started this business called Livecast, and basically people hire me to interview them about their lives. Um, so a lot of times, like somebody maybe our age would hire me to interview their parents who are getting up there and they want to get their story. Mm-hmm. down in a way that is, you know, entertaining and not too high stress. And so mm-hmm. it sort of functions like a podcast, um, but it's somebody talking about their life. I interview somebody for two to three hours and then edit yeah. it together and use music and make this really great kind of audio heirloom that they're able to share with their loved ones um, as easy as you would listen to your favorite podcast. So it's always accessible from your phone. Um, and it's been really fun and fulfilling. I've gotten to talk to some some interesting people, and I think people, what I found is a lot of times, especially if it's somebody's parents, they're a little wary of like, what is this? But once you get them talking, I think people want to be, they like to talk about what they've experienced, and they like that somebody seems interested, and I don't know, I think they've found the experience meaningful, and it's not too high stress, like nobody has to be on camera, Um, I bring my observation deck questions, so there's always a lot of humor to it. But it's a way of um, preserving the, the milestone moments of somebody's life. Uh, so like retirements or an yeah. anniversary maybe? Or, yeah. And I've started covering I've, – I've, I've gone to weddings and asked all the guests fun questions and then edited them together. Oh, um, what a good idea. Yeah, so you can learn more about it at getalifecast.com. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's been cool, you know. And for a long time I've had those questions – in my back pocket for a long time, and I didn't realize they were an asset, really. I mm-hmm. didn't realize what I had until mm-hmm. I started exploring it with the observation deck and with the game and stuff. Um, so, yeah, I'm just trying to 
trying to help people tell their stories and capture their stories for for future generations and and uh, not letting them slip away, you know. Yeah, what a great idea! No one does anything like that. You know, people do their little video montages or something. And you know, my my husband's mother recently passed away, and they they had to create like a they used still photos and created a montage that would play at the wake and things. But that's like to have this this chat, this podcast of of your maybe your parents talking about how they met. Yeah, because I don't know how my parents met. I I have no idea whatsoever. And you know, when you're when you're ten, twenty, thirty, you're nothing about how your parents met. But no. you know, when maybe when a parent passes away or when they're gone, you might wonder. You know, I don't know that. And wouldn't it be cool to hear their voices? Yes. Say those things in their own language. Yeah, in their own words. Like the last client that I did, his it was his father who was who just turned eighty, and he was you know mm-hmm. in a big family, lots of kids and grandkids. Everyone loved him. He's still with us, obviously, but um, he used to sing to them when they were kids, and so mm. I got him to sing some of those songs on the tape, and I think it's just it's really special for the for the family to have that, and I think sometimes um, a stranger can ask questions that that uh, that they might not be comfortable talking about in front of their kids, um, and I also like my parents. My mother passed away when I was in my 30s, and my dad as well. And I never really talked to them right. the way I talk to people that I interview. Like I know more about, you know, Suzanne Summers than I know about, <laughs> like how my dad moved to Arizona or whatever it was, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's something that motivates me. Like this idea that, like, I didn't know their story. Mm-hmm. I never saw them as sort of separate from just being my parents. Like, it's, what were their dreams? Funny. Uh, what was it like when they met? Um, that kind of thing. Oh my gosh, I think that's terrific. You yeah. do so many things. You know, Billy Porter would call you uh, a do-it-yourself bitch. I know, uh, and I I get he, it because he believes in that. Well, you have to. You know, a lot mm-hmm. of this. I've done a lot of different things because some things um, pay you and some don't. So you have to kind of mm-hmm. you kind of kind of have to jump around. So um, I I like doing different things though. So, but yeah. If one track had just kind of gone, I might have stuck with that, but but right. That's well, all right. I'm the same way, and I think that's why I'm so drawn to to your 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 resume and your bio and your so well and you're super clever. I mean, just listening to you, you're always so super clever. You're the oh, best person you. to be next to at a party. Uh. And um, <laughs> you know, I, I I love even your bio. The last line of your bio reads: He is currently seeking representation and most likely parking. That's true. Which, Both of those are and, true. <laughs> Which in LA is such a perfect line. When you first uh, moved to New York, I think you were acting and singing and dancing, and you're on a cruise line, and you you got a job as as um, a cruise dre- as a cruise director, right? Assistant cruise director, job. yeah. Yes. you did your homework so, for I Princess mean, Cruises, yeah. But we were it was an audition job, so we were doing the shows, and then we would do um, like cruise staff duties, you know, during the day and stuff. So it was like, a lot of work, but it was high- really fun. You know, a window opens or a door opens, and you take advantage of that, and then you do it. And I'm certain being – because I've been on cruises, and I know what cruise directors do. And, you know, you have to deal with people. It's it's a personality job. And and then you take those skills, and it opens the next door or the window, and you do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. You know, suddenly you're interviewing um, Donna Summer and asking there her about – Asking her about her gay stuff <laughs> um, and making her uncomfortable. 
No, you know, I think the cruise ships were very helpful because we used to have to do what was called swanning, which was going mm-hmm. around and just socializing. So mm-hmm. you got good at talking to strangers. You got good at asking questions. Um, I think it helped me when I went uh, into journalism to, you know, know how to yeah. talk to people um, and, and try to think, okay, what, what's, what can I ask them about? What can I, you know, I got a swan out here for 45 minutes <laughs> before I can, you know, go to dinner or whatever. So I think it was helpful in that way. Um, I think it would be. I think yeah. Did you be. ever do cruise ships? I never did. You know, I, think yeah. I, was, I was offered a production of A Chorus Line once as Bobby in the late 90s, and I said no. I forget why, and like a week later I got another job offer, and so it just never happened again. Never happened. I, I will say, though, I've been on – I never thought I would do the gay cruise thing, but I have to tell you, a few years ago we went on our first gay cruise with the oh, Atlantis Cruises. Oh, they're so fun. They're the Best. I never yeah. thought I would like it. Yes, I love it. Now, everyone thinks, oh, it's a lot of drugs and stuff. And, you know, I don't do any of that. And, you know, we'll go to the dances at night for about an hour and look at everybody's costumes. Because for people who may not know about gay cruises, every party every night is like themed and like there's a disco night or there's a white party night. Or, and so people bring a whole suitcase of costumes just to look super cool or whatever, blah, blah, blah. We'll go for an hour and then we'll go to sleep and we'll get up the next morning and sit by the pool. But it's so much fun. Yeah, I, there's and everything I you could cruises. want there. Whatever you're into. It, yeah, you know. I find the piano bar. And, um, you know, I will tell you this. We were on the we, – we were on a gay cruise last year, and Michael and I were walked into the piano bar. We actually – Olivia Newton-John, who's a client of Michael's, was Ugh, booked on the I'm Atlanta so cruise. I love out her. Of, Oh, she's so awesome. We yeah. love her so much. Michael's been with her 20 years as her publicist, and we we did the cruise. She got on in San Juan. She did a concert that night and then got off the next day, but we stayed. And so after Olivia left, Michael and I found the, the piano bar where they sang Broadway stuff, and I felt at home. And we walked in, and I kid you not, someone came running up. I thought Michael punked me. Someone came running up and moved Michael out of the way, and this guy said, oh, my God, you're the Randy Report. Oh, how fun. <laughs> And Dennis, I swear to God, I thought someone was punking me because, like, nobody right. knows who I am, really. I, and the, it was it was a reader who recognized me from my blog, which absolutely blew me. You never know who you're going to run into or something. And we laughed, and I hugged him, and I took a picture, and I posted it, and it was really cool. But I love the gay cruises, but it's it's really a cool thing. If you haven't done it, it it is cool because, like, for seven days. And I never have the right language for this, so forgive me about the words I'm going to use because I don't like them. But for seven days, we are – we, the gay community, are the norm. We are – it's just normal that we're all who we are, and you see people just freely holding hands, walking with their husband or their boyfriend or their girlfriend. And it's just really an amazing energy and stuff, and yeah. you hear that from a lot of people. And, and once the you crew do one, loves it. The crew yeah, loves we, when the gay people come on because they tip good and they have fun. Oh, well, I'm looking at your bio. You worked with Carol Channing. Oh, my God. For two and a half years, yes. Uh, can favorite you memory. Favorite memory of Carol Channing. Oh, God. I, I, well, the favorite has to be in 2010. I, I did the revival with her of Hello, Dolly. It was my first Broadway show uh, in 2005, and – uh, we did a pre-Broadway tour, tour for a year. We went to Broadway. We were there for several months, and then I staged the national tour after that. And so I was. So in you charge. weren't on stage. You were actually choreographing no, and staging. Oh, you no, were no, on. No, no, no. I was on stage. Yes. Okay. I uh, uh, the pre-Broadway and Broadway run. I was just in the ensemble, and I covered Barnaby. And then six months after we closed, they were sending the tour back out, 
And Leroy Reams was our director, and he asked me to stage the choreography, and then I would supervise, and I'd be dance captain. But Carol still wanted me on stage because Carol liked familiar faces, so I had to be on stage still. So I'll go ahead and tell this story. My favorite story, Carol Channing's story, is we were on the, the post-Broadway tour, and we had traveled to Champaign, Illinois. And this was like a split week where we did like three days in Champaign, Illinois. We had to take two planes and a bus to get to what was like a soccer arena. And they built like a stage up on platforms. And we did the whole Broadway show, but it was like in the center of a soccer arena where the, they you know, brought the audience and we faced one way. And anyway, um, it was a long day and we do a, a, the sound check and the lights are up and we, we always ran the Hello Dolly number and sound check. And I was one of the four boys who jumped over the pit. We had a passerelle, which is a path that went out around the orchestra pit. And we used it a lot in the show. And at one point in the Hello, Dolly number, she would be out on the passerelle, and I would back up and jump over the hole in the, between the stage and the passerelle. Oh and basically gosh. the orchestra was down there, like 20 feet down. But it was, it was eight feet. I could jump eight feet. And you get used to it. So I did it for two and a half years. So, well, for the first time, I don't know why, Carol, with the lights up, noticed that the orchestra was 20 feet down. And that concerned her. So we finish. It's now 7.30. It's half hour. Um, we're going to start at 8. And I, we go to our dressing rooms. Our dressing rooms are like locker rooms, like group locker rooms because it's a soccer arena. Right. And like the showers were open showers and blah, blah, blah. So I thought, I have to take a shower. So I go in. And I'm taking a shower. Uh, and I'm just standing under the hot water. It's just me. And the next thing I hear is, Randy. <laughs> I turn, and there is Carol Channing with me in the shower, and all I'm wearing is soap. And I'm dripping wet, <clears throat> and Carol says, we, uh, uh, Randy, uh, uh, you, uh, you know, uh, uh, you, uh, the pit is so uh, 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 far down, and, and that's dangerous, don't you think? Uh, shouldn't there be a net? And I'm just standing in the water and I let her finish and and I I just said absolutely Carol um absolutely I will definitely talk to the tech director about that and but right now um I'm wet and she paused and and just the greatest comedian ever she paused and she looks me up and down and she goes oh oh yes of course well uh, you know we're all just show folk and That's turns right. and walks out. We're all just show folks. Show folks show it all. That's called. Oh yeah, yeah, she doesn't care. Um, and she would, you know, I would go check on her other nights, and the boys just thought they were so hysterical directing her into the shower with me. And you know, I would, I would interview her. I, I would go check on her every night at half hour, just to make sure she's fine. If anything needed to dressing or something, and I'd knock on the door, and she'd say, "Come in." And you'd walk in, and she'd be sitting at her dressing table doing her makeup, and she'd be wearing a button-up shirt that was unbuttoned with nothing on underneath, and I would be like, okay, good for you, <laughs> 75. So no pants, like, but what would like you have on the bottom? nothing else. Okay. But, but like transparent tights. Right. Like just skin. Yeah. In, yeah. And you're like, you just worked really hard at staring her in the eye. Right. And, um, but my, I do have to say, in 2010, they called us back at the Gypsy of the Year event, which raised money for Broadway Cares Equity Fight Days, and they wanted to honor her with the opening number, and they called the Dolly Boys back, and I 
we we did a version of the Dolly number with her fielding number, and it's on YouTube if you look it for Gypsy of the Year or Carol Channing. I'm the blonde boy just living my best life because I was I was on a Broadway stage again with Carol Channing 12 years later. Oh my and gosh! And the audience just loved her so much that I just hyperventilated being with her, and they put me next to her because they. Again, a, a familiar face, and she would gravitate to the faces she knew. And just being on with her on stage, if you watch the video, you'll just know that – I'm bringing I, it up right now. I'm going to watch – I oh. just was – 2010. Was out. That was it. And, okay. And, you know, it, it was just such an incredible moment, and and they I ended up partnering with her a bit because she was 91 at that time, I think. And uh, I didn't want her to fall. And I loved her so much because she's so important to me. And so I ended up partnering with her to make sure that she was fine. She was fine. I don't like like she was frail. But it was new steps and stuff. And so just to help her out, and a picture of us was on the New York Times the next day. And all my friends called me, and they're like, do you know, have you seen the New York Times? And there I was on the cover of the New York Times Arts and Leisure section in color with Carol Jenning. And it was just the coolest thing that got to happen how many did you go by did you go by the whole stack? Uh, I, I have three no i have three, three. that's a three. perfectly had, acceptable number you yeah. know and then you stack them and you put them in the closet and hope they don't fade and but it, was, nice. it was cool it was you know meeting carol channing of all people and working with her and she was she was awesome she was awesome she was a great great star she was brilliant you know a lot of people thought she was kind of like just this one thing and she was just a brilliant person i remember being at dinner with her one time she was she would talk politics and suddenly she's just smart as a whip, and she's like names and policies, and like, oh, I get this. Oh, see, busted. Oh, you're really all this, but you want everyone to think you're kind of this dumb blonde thing. Right. She was really just a great talent, a great, great talent. Um, you know, they really messed up at the Academy Awards this year because they did not include her in the in memoriam. I know. And I thought people that was don't baloney. think she was nominated for an Academy Award for featured supporting actress in Thoroughly Modern Millie. Right. She and you know she practically never made another movie. Her her she was nominated for an Academy Award and never made another movie. But how do you become a, a an Academy Award nominee and you're this legend and the Oscars forgets you? I yeah, just, I think that's crazy. Boo. Yeah. Boo. I can't I can't think about it. And we just we loved her and she was so kind to us. She was she was very nice. And you know I do make a point of telling people she was very nice to us and she she would she would rent a bus on, if we were in a city for two weeks and we had a monday night off she'd rent a bus take us to a movie theater buy out a seating of a movie get behind the concession stand serve all of us wow and it, once everybody had popcorn and candy and everything she paid for everything we'd sit down and watch a movie together she'd pay for all of it she'd pay for our thanksgiving dinner she'd have a thanksgiving dinner for the company christmas dinner i mean she was very generous to us that's amazing. What? How are you feeling about the Cats movie? Because I heard oh. Taylor Swift talking about it the other day on Ellen and how they had to go to cat camp where you <laughs> run around and be a cat and stuff. Yes, we had to do that. Yeah, I know. I've is... heard about that for years, but I yeah. just – I know, don't know. And you know um, Dame Judith is, is going to be – singing Memory? Uh, no, Dame Judith is going to be um, uh, Deuteronomy. Oh, it's usually like grandfather cat, but it's going to be the grandmother cat, I guess. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just don't know. Uh, uh, Jennifer Hudson is going to be Grizabella, so she's going to knock out memory. Okay. Taylor Swift's going to be Bomb Ballerina, the sexy cat. 
Okay. I don't. I don't. I think Ian McKellen is going to be Gus the theater cat. He'll be wonderful. You know, that's good. But I don't know. I don't know about cats anymore. It's it, what like, happened I, to it. It was the coolest thing in the world for mm-hmm. a long time, and, and then, then it, it was not. <laughs> then it became like a joke. What yes, happened? I don't know. I've never understood. It is one of those things. People used to say to me all the time. It, the first day of rehearsals back in 1986 is like August 1st, 1986 or something. And they sat us down in a big circle and they told us the story of cats. Believe it or not, there's a story of cats. And, you know, there's more than just, you know, here are the cats. Someone gets to be reborn and now we're going to all perform for you and one of us gets it, you know. Yeah. But there is a story. There's more to it. And every cat is specific, specific, specific. Like Matt Zarley was Pounceful, who's a teenage cat, and he's like curious about everything, but he's very innocent. There's another teenage cat, Tumble Brutus, who is kind of like a little <laughs> bit of a – But um, even the names make me laugh. Like, yeah, I, Gimble Shanks, the railway I cat. <laughs> he's like the cat on the trains, and, I just, but he's very efficient. And the magical Mr. Mistopheles was mysterious, but he liked himself. I decided Mistopheles liked himself. Like, I didn't want to be reborn because I'm like, I'm already fabulous. Why would I want to be reborn? That was your subtext? That was yeah, what was your, okay. like, Yeah, I don't need to be reborn. I'm good. Okay. Um, you know, the Rum Tum Tugger was the rock and roll cat. Sure. Um, Bombay Arena was the sexy cat. Oh, uh, Demeter, who sings the first part of Macavity, who's the villain, Macavity. Demeter, what the audience doesn't know is Demeter had been kidnapped and taken to McCavity's lair where he raped her over and over, and she has escaped. So throughout the show, there would be these crash sounds, and we all think it's McCavity. The, the cat screaming, McCavity, is Demeter because she thinks he's coming back to kidnap her again and rape her some more. Wow. Now you got that. Oh, yes. Now, Bombayarina – the sexy cat, she sings the second half of McCavity because she had a similar experience with McCavity, except she liked it. Okay. <laughs> she, she's like, he's a stud. I like to come get me again. Um, uh. So there was all this, you know, Tumble Brutus is like a teenager and he, he thinks he's a big cat, but like he scratches Grizabella to show that he's tough. And then everyone scorns him because they're like, don't act like that. Don't, you're being yeah. a child. And so he's like scorned for doing that. So every uh, Victoria, the white cat, is very pure. Obviously, she's white, so there's this purity. Um, Syllabub is a is a young cat who's very inquisitive, and she doesn't know who Grizabella is. So she's the one who sings the little bit of memory during memory, the little soprano part, and um, she's curious about who this person is and why nobody doesn't like her. And so everybody had a very specific thing that that as an audience member you don't know. But the interesting thing, and this is an acting thing that I learned. And I use this in, in every show after that is what's important as an actor sometimes is that you are always playing something. The audience may not know what you're playing, right? but they know when you're not playing anything. If you're disengaged, like if you're, if you're checked out and you're really not paying attention to where we are and you're not in, in the moment and everything, I think an audience can always sense that. If you are in the moment, even if you're playing something, the audience doesn't know what you're playing. They know that you're engaged. They know that you're with them. And they, they taught us that because in Cats, we didn't have spoken dialogue. And so the focus, like when Deuteronomy, the grandfather cat, made his entrance, how we responded to him with reverence told the audience who he was, mm-hmm. which sounds obvious. But if you don't think of it that, that way, if they just say, oh, when he comes up, pet on him and, and you know bow down to him, well, that's kind of heavy-handed. But 
how we responded to him in our own different ways as Mistopheles or Pounceful or Tumble Brutus or Mungo Jerry or whatever told the audience stuff. And so I've used that in shows when I direct and choreograph all the time is you have to be playing something, even if the audience doesn't know what it is, because, you know, I'll tell people, play this, play that. You know, in Hello, Dolly, when Dolly comes back to the Harmonia Gardens in Act Two and we do the Hello, Dolly number, I've set like 10 big companies of, of Hello, Dolly now. And I tell the – I always set the number first without our Dolly, the star. And I tell the guys, you have to make up a backstory, whether – we all have to love her. We have to love her, and the audience will get that we love her, but we can't just smile at her and love her. So whether your backstory is she would come into the Harmonia Gardens, and on busy nights she'd come into the kitchen and help you cook because it was just so hot and there was no air conditioning in the kitchen. It was really awful, but she would help you cook, and then she would start a food fight in the kitchen. We'd have fun because we never had fun working at the Harmonia Gardens, or maybe she introduced – your sister to her husband, and up until that point, your sister was living with you and your wife, and you wanted your sister to move out. So thank God she introduced your sister to someone who would marry and get you out of the, get her out of the house. So we all love Dolly for these different reasons. So the, when Dolly comes down those stairs in that red dress, we all have to approach her for a different reason, but it's all love, and it's and you have to play that very very intentionally. And I tell people that all the time. Then I put Dolly in. And the, whether it is you know Betty Buckley, who's currently brilliant in the national tour right now, um, I did it with Leslie Uggams, I did it with Michelle Lee, I did it with um, just so many wonderful performers, and uh, Lynn Winterstellar, who's awesome. But by the time you put them in, when they come down those stairs and they don't even sing yet, they're just going down the line looking the boys in their in the eye. Those boys are playing a scene with them and the actresses come and go, Oh my God, they, they're all so nice. And they're all smiling. So warm. I'm like, because they're acting and they have a story. Now you're going to add yours and we're all going to have it together. And so, and it makes them feel really good. Probably. Right. They probably it, feel it, like they're the shit. Yeah. And you know, and, and every night, you know, Carol was, Carol made contact with all of us, with all of us. And so it was just, it, it's an interesting thing. What you learn, not in an, in an acting class, but on stage with people like, Blythe Danner and Follies and Judith Ivey and Gregory Harrison and Tree Williams and Follies and Do you miss you, performing? Do you miss I it? do. I do. Yeah, I do. I would do I if, if there was but I couldn't dance today. I mean because the thing about dancing is so many of my jobs were dance based and if you aren't dancing every day, it just gets so hard when I choreograph now. A few years ago I choreographed a production of West Side Story in San Diego. And I had the brilliant idea. I hadn't danced in six months, and I had the brilliant idea. I was setting the original Jerome Robbins choreography, which I learned from Jerome Robbins. And I had the brilliant, I'm being sarcastic, idea of <laughs> setting cool the first night. So I set cool, and you know, cool is so intense, and it's really hard. Right. It's hard. Dennis, the next day, I couldn't get out of bed. I was so, so I was just paralyzed with inflammation. Right. I like it was the dumbest idea. Like we should have done G. Officer Krupke or something. I mean, it was just, it was so. I was like, Randy, had you lost your mind? I would love to get on stage again if it was the right thing. But I don't. I also like writing now, and I'm a journalist, and I have my podcast, and I like all those things. Do you miss performing? Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. It's yeah. it's fun, you know. I miss dancing. I, I still go to dance class. Do you see? I I, do. I love. Yeah. You know, I remember living in LA in the early 2000s and Billy uh Porter was there and you know now of course now he's this big star with with Pose and his Tony Award. on TV, TV Billy Porter. 
But Billy called me one day and goes, oh, I'm going to go take Michael Owen's class, dance class. And Michael had taught in New York for many years, and we all knew his warm-up. So I went and took dance class with, with Billy. You know, Billy kept taking dance class. You know, Billy never stopped, and people think of him for his singing and his acting, but boy can dance his ass off. And, yeah. uh, you know, he kept going to class. You keep going to class. And I really do like dancing. It's When it's a gift, and, and I say it's a gift, I don't mean it like, oh, aren't I wonderful. I say it's a gift that I can't take credit for it. It's something that God gave me. And I didn't know that I could dance until the first day I got up when I was really young and I was in my first high school musical and everyone went, oh my, you, you really dance well. I'm like, I'd never taken a class. Really? But I moved well. That's natural to it you. Was, That's amazing. It was a thing. And then everyone said, oh, you should take a dance class. And when you're a boy who's 13, 14 and you start taking dance class, you know, everybody encourages you because there are no boys. And then just it, it snowballed. It was a thing. And I always thought I was going to be an actor and singer because I started singing when I was like six years old. And I wanted to be Donny Osmond because when I was, you know, six years old, Donny Osmond, the, the Osmond brothers were super famous and everyone loved Donny. And I, years later, I realized, and this is like really deep, um, I realized like when I was 35, I wanted to be Donny Osmond because I thought if I was Donny Osmond, people would love me. Oh my gosh. I, and I don't mean that like I wasn't loved, but I thought everyone loves Donny Osmond and, and somehow viscerally, on a gut level, I thought, you know, well, if I was him, they'd, everyone would love me. Would, yeah, all my problems and, would be solved. And I did not figure that out until I was like 35, 38. And one day it came to me. I went, oh. But I always liked being – I always liked singing. I always liked acting. Um, and when the dance thing happened, suddenly I'm a boy, and I dance, and suddenly you're a dancer. Next thing you know, you go to New York City, and you're cast in a brand-new national tour of Cats back when it was a good credit. I have one more question for you to wrap up before we wrap up. Going back to your journalism and the writing that you do every day, why do you love it? You know why? A, a few years ago, I actually do have a direct answer to that. I was at a party, and someone – I was talking about politics, which has been very important to me. When I, when I was little – let me back up a bit. When I was little, I was afraid of everything. I was afraid of everything. And then when I was – this goes back to Cats again. When I was in Cats and, and I – It all go, everything goes back to Cats. It all goes back to Cats. It's, it's, it. it's much deeper than we ever dreamed. Right. I remember there was a, an, an actress in the show, a dancer who played Demeter, uh, Deb, and she was having a fight with her boyfriend in Dallas. And he was a musician in the show. And she turned to him one day, and I just happened to be in the hallway, and she goes, you know, Hugh, I'm not afraid of anything. Like, she was this little, cute little thing, but she was like, she's going to punch him if she needed to. But she turned, she said that. I remember that, that resonated with me. I'm not afraid of anything. And I realized that I'd been afraid of so many things my whole life because I was just, I was afraid of not being liked or I was afraid of just everything. And the reason I mentioned that, though, is somewhere when I heard that, I decided I'm just going to decide I'm not going to be afraid. I'm just right. I'm I'm just not going to be afraid anymore. And like magic, I kind of wasn't. I just pretended I'm not afraid of anything. And so that snowballed into I started getting involved in politics and reading a lot about it and becoming passionate about it and raising my voice. And until that time, I would have been afraid to do that. Mm -hmm. And one day I was at a party and I was talking about politics and someone said, "How do you know all this?" And I don't think I'm I was all that smart. I just happened to follow politics. And I thought, "How do you not?" Right. And that was part of what – when I started the blog, I started sharing things because I thought part you, – you asked me earlier, like, what do I choose to write about? I read about things that I think people should know. Sometimes it's something uplifting, and it's just a human nature 
story that is uplifting because we also need those things in life. We can, we can report on all the bad stuff that happens. There's a lot of that in life right now. But I want people to know that there are good things happening in life. I also want people to be educated, and, and now that we have this phrase, fake news, I want people to really know the truth about what's going on in politics. So I, I only – when I write about news, it's not opinion. I'm just reporting the facts, and I, what I do is I make it brief because nobody wants to read you, you know, like a 2,000-word article you know, like in the New York Times. They do a wonderful job, but my perspective, and I find a lot of people is they want to know what a story is in like two, three, four paragraphs, and that's it. So right. What's important to me is to share with people what I think they should know about what's going on in, in life today in news, whether it's politics or pop culture entertainment. And maybe it's because it is a really wonderful performance on TV going on right now, and I think you should see this because it's just fabulous. Or there's something in politics. That's what really drove me to do the writing that I do, and that's what became important to me is I want people to know things. I don't want people to be at a party and be quiet in a conversation because they don't know anything about it. So they're going to choose to just be quiet because right. they don't know. I want people to know. I don't want another person to say, how do you know that? Because my answer might be, how do you not? So um, thank you for doing this, and thank you for helping me learn how to use my equipment. And uh, Is that add, a euphemism? <laughs> add, that's a euphemism. It is. Um, so, Absolutely. Yeah. You have a great day. <laughs> you too. Okay. Bye, Randy. I know I rarely have podcast episodes this long, but I had so much fun chatting with Dennis, I didn't even check the clock until we'd ended the chat. Mucho thanks to Dennis. Make sure you visit his website, www.dennishensley.com. I'll also have his other links and social media in the show notes. And that brings me to the end of this episode of The Randy Report. If you enjoy catching up on LGBTQ news and a quick podcast, I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't mind sharing the Randy Report with your friends. I like to think of this podcast as the 60 minutes of gay news, only shorter. Sometimes. And remember, you can find me every single day on the internet at therandyreport.com, where I cover the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. Thanks for listening, folks. See you next time.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.